0: Hi, I'm Gordon Lamp here with The Real Finds Podcast, a podcast series where we interview key entrepreneurs, scientists, and activists who are shaping real estate and, as a result, our world. Today we have Vinny D'Amiglio on the podcast. He's an office expert in the New Jersey market. Vinny works with both tenants and landlords and will give us insight into what's going on in New Jersey and the broader market, both on the debt side and how it affects tenants. If any of our listeners are worried about the state of the office market, it's well worth a listen. Vinny, thank you so much for hopping on the podcast today. Thanks
1: for having me again, Gordon. Appreciate
0: it. So, there's been a lot going on since uh, we last had this podcast. Um, and one of the things I think we wanted to bring up is the crisis that landlords are experiencing. And I know it's been beat uh, beat dead. I mean, people are absolutely beating the landlord crisis uh, into the ground in any media that you're going to consume in terms of from the landlord side. But I think what we want to talk about a little bit today is how it's affecting tenants. And um, you've definitely dealt with that in New Jersey. And I was curious, what are you seeing uh, in the Garden State?
1: Well, I think it's a really good question. And to your point, it seems to be the only thing that's in the media right now, which is nice because sometimes it's good to get differing headlines than some other topics you used to see every single day. So it's it's all it's all cyclical. Um, you know, I, I kind of go back to an something that I told people for years, which is, you have to look at your landlord as a business partner. Because you have to make sure that you can go to work, uh, make sure you're building, the, the lights are on, you know, the HVAC is working, um, that somebody is there to fix any issues that come up. The worst case scenario is, you know, landlord gives the keys back to the bank, The bank's not in the business to be a landlord. Now, nobody's taking care of the building. Why are the lights not on? Why is it too hot? Why is it too cold? This is not an ideal scenario or setting for my people to do their best work, right? So are we seeing that in New Jersey a lot? We're starting to. We're seeing it a little bit. Uh, I think it's on the rise. Certain buildings that are still suffering from the work from home. you know, trend or whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, if those tenants are going to be downsizing and actually giving space back, it's not a rent collection problem. Like I want to make sure people know that because they'll look at a building, they look at the parking lot, and they go, No one's here. This landlord's giving the keys back. But the building's leased. Right? The tenants are paying their rent. They've got a few years left on their lease. Maybe somebody's marketing their space for sublease. You know, people are coming in Tuesdays and Wednesdays, whatever the case might be, that landlord might not technically be suffering right now. Um, You know, could be that a loan is maturing, they're having trouble getting financing. I'm hearing that from a lot of my landlords that are stable and their lenders are just a little bit nervous about what the future of office is. So now they're not getting um, the kind of rates that they had or they wanted, which is going to throw off their whole... Noi balance, right now it's going to cost me more to mortgage my building than it was before. So now what do I do? Do I increase my rents? Well, that's a, that's going to be really tough to do right now, right? Um, so there's a really weird balancing act that's occurring right now. But I I will say from from a Princeton specific uh, point of view, I don't think we're at a place in time just yet where owners are giving the keys back in droves. There's always going to be a few bad landlords in good markets and in bad, right, who are going to give the keys back because they just didn't do a good job with their building. That's going to happen. We're going to see that in a few places. There's a couple of buildings in receivership right now, beautiful buildings, bad owner, um, but, you know, at least for somebody there trying to right the ship. So, you know, it's kind of a vague answer, but I think on a on a more macro perspective, it is happening and it is something that tenants need to be really careful with
0: look i I definitely want to touch on two things you said the first thing um there's a building I can look out and see uh from my office window right now that um we don't manage, but that has you know eighty percent occupancy on paper and if you looked on Friday, you'd say, "Oh my gosh, this building is going under, but that's a ten year lease like that yeah. building's gonna be fine for probably eight more years." Uh, high credit tenant. Um, And so there's a lot of that that's going on in the market. There's also a lot of buildings that are in a lot of trouble that have uh, uh, cars in the parking lot because of a wide range of reasons in terms of mismanagement. Um, The thing that I think was the most important thing you touched on is I used to have a mentor who recently passed away who would say that the most under-talked about amenity in a building is a good landlord. And that good landlord means Someone who's proactive, someone who's um, financially stable, someone who has experience in the market going through turbulent or changing times. And I was wondering, how can a tenant, from your perspective, protect themselves from the potential pitfalls of a bad landlord? Because I've certainly dealt with that. There's one bad landlord I'm fighting on behalf of our tenant right now to deal with. Um, what are you seeing, uh, in New Jersey?
1: Well, I think there are more tenants asking to see landlord financials now than ever before. It's actually, I've been doing this now next week will be 14, finishing 14 years in the business. So when I got into the business in '09, you know, the world was a bit of a weird place, right? Um, this is the first time I've heard it go in the opposite direction because landlords are always asking their tenants for financials. We want to make sure that you are a good investment to our building. Well, what about the other way around? You know, Mr. Landlord, what can you, or Mrs. Landlord, what can you show me that gives me the confidence that you're not going to hand the keys back tomorrow? So I do think what, whatever, whatever that, that is, whatever you can get, um, that shows, Hey, here's the landlord's financials. I, by the way, we just had a landlord reject the request, okay? It's a it's $100 million building. From their perspective, they're like, "What? come on, we're investing in the building. You're walking around. You see we're adding amenities. We don't really have a whole lot of vacancy. What gives you the concern? Well, maybe a $100 million building is a really expensive building to carry? And maybe you have a lease coming up. I don't know, so you're not you're not going to get full cooperation on that. But if you can get it, I think that's important. And I think you just have to ask the question. Brokers that have been in the market for a long time can tell you historically how certain landlords have operated. Do they come from a from a good place? Do they do they mean well? Um, are they the type of person's got a reputation? Have done this in other markets throughout the state? or in in maybe, you know, states nearby that, yeah, they gave the keys back on this building, on that building, they're probably going to do it here. I tell people that work. And just bad landlords, by the way, even before COVID happened, and we started seeing people work from home, which is why, in my opinion, we're in this trend where we are now, with, you know, being concerned about landlords and their financial credibility. um, I would say to people, look, I put a building on the survey. I just want to tell you, I don't want to take you there because they are a bad landlord. Um, they don't take care of the building. I don't think they're going to treat you well. Um, so I really think we should move on. But I didn't want you to think that I was just taking buildings off for any other reason. You know, so I think from a broker's point of view, we need to communicate like more communication than we're probably used to. Because what you don't want to have happen is you put your client tenant in a situation where you said. Don't worry, they're good. It's a good landlord. And all of a sudden, six months later, they give the keys back. It's, you know, it is what it is. Um, we can only give as best advice that we can. I have the situation now. You'll really appreciate this. And and by the way, so will your listeners because this is something I have never seen until now. There's a hundred thousand square foot building that sold. When the buyers were going through their due diligence, it took them. Probably start to finish two years to buy this building, which sounds crazy. Okay. Um, they paid all cash for the building. It's like four and a half million bucks, like 45 bucks a foot. Okay, so really, it's essentially getting the building for free. But the building needs uh, a ton of improvement. So they were gonna put a couple million dollars into the building to renovate it. They can't get a loan now. From the time they started two years ago to now, lending has changed. So they can't get a loan. You know what they did? They kicked everybody out of the building. They let the building go dark and they said, it's better for us to pay our real estate taxes and to pay some minimal expense, you know, fees, whatever, just to keep the building running. But your rent doesn't really pay for all the other necessary expenses. So we're just going to let you leave. Probably nine months in advance, I reached out to a client in the building and I said, here's what's coming down the pike they, I don't think they wanted to believe it because they really love the building. They love their view. It really is very unique. And uh, it wasn't until they officially, you know, got notice that they went, like, we should have listened to you. And now we're scrambling. Thankfully, we found a really great building that's going to be sort of a perfect fit for them. But it doesn't, doesn't always happen that way. And so you can think this is my point to come full circle. You can think you're buying a building or excuse me, you're leasing a building that's got a really great landlord, which that building had for two decades. Then it sells to somebody who just isn't nearly as qualified. So you could only do so much. It's kind of, it's rolling the dice. You know, buildings are going to trade. They're going to have different owners. Some are going to be good. Some are going to be bad. But just keep communicating with your broker because they'll be able to tell you what their experience with that particular owner is.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean... In our market, we've seen a lot of craziness with um, landlords. There's a a, a broker, and I'm, I'm I might tell you a little bit about him off uh, off air because I hate talking about anything that um, that uh, should be kept private. Uh, but he was communicating to me that there was trouble with a bank in New York, a regional bank, and he said, "Look, the regional banks, I think there's they're in a lot of trouble," and we were doing a deal um, in our area that was a regional bank deal and we wanted to look at financials and, um, they were very, very cautious about, you know, showing their financials. Then, you know, weekend comes and we find out that that bank that the broker had discussed in New York is now going under. Um, and I'm pretty sure everyone knows the bank I'm talking about. Um, and then as a result, on that Monday morning, the bank was much more willing to show their financials to us because they realized that it is actually a pressing problem for a you know, 10 or 15,000 foot office lease. Sure. So um, I think as we get into this new world, I think there's going to be changing norms in terms of the interplay between uh, tenants and landlords. And I think people are going to be more and increasingly more open to maybe opening up books, particularly for a 10, 15, 20,000 office deal because those are increasingly rare in some markets. Um, One of the things I wanted to double back on is something we discussed in a past episode, and that's what's going on in in the New Jersey market as a whole. And I wanted to, to kind of follow up because it's a very similar market in a lot of ways to Illinois' market. And so what are you seeing In terms of return to work and kind of the hybrid model that's going on right now in New Jersey?
1: Well, I'll tell you, I have about a million two um, in my agency portfolio, total space, not vacancy. I have been busier through June, July, and this first week of August than I would have expected. Um, We're showing a lot of space. It seems to be busiest in the big block. So big block, thirty to fifty thousand feet, let's say, and you know, under ten thousand feet. There's a lot of activity in those two um sort of size ranges and not a whole lot in between. But activity is good. I don't really care. Is it because look, I'm I'm a believer, I think I've mentioned this on my on the last podcast. I'm a big Yankee fan, big Jeter fan. Jeter was one of the best to do it, and he did it by hitting lots of singles and doubles. Um, and when you look at the statistic, the statistics of most markets, the bulk of the activity will be deals under ten thousand square feet. So I think it's really positive to see that activity. Um, some of it are people, you know, there's a forty thousand foot office tenant right now downsizing to ten you know look that sucks you know you don't want to see somebody give 30,000 feedback um but that's just the nature of the beast and so um you know as i've said a million times being in princeton puts us in a phenomenal location um that is ripe with you know really great pharmaceutical companies um growing pharmaceutical companies so without them i think that the statistics would look far worse because they've been eating up a lot of the vacancy. Um, there's another pharma company who's been working on an expansion. They're going to take three floors in a building, it's about 135,000 square feet. That's going to be huge to this market because you know how many 30,000 foot or 5,000 foot or 4,000 foot vacancies need to come back to make up for that one deal. I mean, that's a big deal in a suburban market that's only 25 million square feet. So. Whether it's a good quality or uh, a bad one, I tend to be an eternal optimist. Okay, so everything that goes up must come down. I totally get it. But everything that goes down is likely to come up. So yes, we have tenants that have pulled back on space utilization in light of uh, hybrid work. That's fine. They've now set a new uh, equilibrium for whatever their space need is. So hey, I was 40,000 feet, now I'm 10,000 feet. 10,000 feet, you grow back up to 40,000 feet. That might take 10 years. That might happen next year. We've seen um, BlackRock, who's um, got a substantial presence in this market, not only mandate uh, return to office, but five days. Listen, their people might not come back five days. Um, They might get some real pushback. But as you look at the news, you are seeing more and more um, employers trying to get people back. So, yeah, look, Gordon, it's going to be hybrid. It's, it's always going to be hybrid now. I don't see us ever going back. I'm, I'm fully accepting of that, but I'm also not accepting that everyone's just going to still throw their hands up and go, we don't need office space anymore. That's never going to be the answer. Um, I Actually, I just got lunch in a cafeteria here. Uh, so I'm in Carnegie Center, which is predominantly owned by Boston Properties. And they have this beautiful cafeteria they spend millions of dollars on. I don't usually go over there. It's not where I just where the world takes me, but today it took me there. There must have been fifty people in the cafeteria. That's a huge number for any cafeteria in any office building in a suburban market. so I think we're we're starting to very slowly see people come back into the office and uh, what I shared with you before that I'm excited to tell your your listeners um I had a showing this morning, and this particular company. They did go remote, and they started hiring people wherever they could hire people. It didn't matter, right? We're remote. Well, now they want to be in the office three days a week, and they hired a cohort of about 70 people in and around the Princeton area. Now they need a Princeton office. That office never existed. Assuming they go through with the transaction, that's 15,000 feet of positive absorption. That's a company that was never here. And due to their remote work policy and just hiring people wherever, um, now there's going to be an office here. So I'm not saying that's going to be the case for everybody, but I think you take the good with the bad. There will be people that decide, you know what, the hybrid work model just didn't really fit for us. So we need to you know, bring people back or open up. Uh, you remember the hub and spoke people would talk about the beginning of COVID? Yeah. I don't know that we've really seen a whole lot of that. But I I do believe that's a good model for people like, okay, you don't want to drive an hour into the office. Let's just have three offices that are spread out in a a wider geography. That way, everybody can have a 10 or 15 minute drive to the office. So at least all those offices are filled. You know, like, there's so many different ways of going about this. And I think just saying, uh, everybody just work from home, it's going to work for some but i don't think it's going to work for everybody so um i think that's why we're we're seeing this activity here um people are just kind of trying to figure out what does the future hold for them what are the space needs i mean you must be seeing it too right people still have no idea what they want for space and that's why you have people that you know they're only in tuesday thursday wednesday maybe let's say um because they're like we're just kind of experimenting thank god i got two years up on my lease i can figure out what's best for us and in two years you know be able to be in a space that maybe right sizes us a little bit
0: that's something that's it's interesting that you touched on and um we had some folks on earlier uh last year uh from madison from nashville from a couple other secondary and tertiary markets and um they're saying very similar things in terms of that they're seeing a lot of growth that came from hybrid work or came from remote work. Uh, individuals who are looking for offices or sales offices and, and kind of growing around clusters of employees. I'd say for us, we've seen a little bit more hub and spoke, I think, than some other markets. Uh, I've I've heard the same thing from some of the brokers that are out in LA, uh, brokers that we've interviewed uh, from larger metropolitan areas like New York that they're seeing, you know, within those immediate metro areas, they're seeing more of the hub and spoke model. But that's fascinating to hear um, from kind of a lot of other more more, um, regional and smaller markets that we've seen over and over on this podcast, uh, cluster-based growth. Um, I wanted to touch on something that uh, you talked about earlier, though, um, and that is the whole principle of 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 what you're seeing in terms of landlords and, and downsizing. So what we've seen increasingly is there's a lot of landlords that are downsizing and they're looking towards possible conversion and possibly converting to either office uh, to residential or office to industrial. And that puts a lot of um, tenants in a very precarious situation where they start to see their building drain out and they sit there and go, Well, I've got four more years left on my lease. Yeah. What do I do when this when or if this building uh gets converted? And so I'm curious if that's something you're seeing in the market, because that's something that we're starting to address with some of our clients, because Chicagoland's starting to go towards a conversion model.
1: Yeah. So, you know, we are smack in the middle between both New York and Philadelphia. Um, You know, we've got the ports along the New Jersey Turnpike. Um, It's a very robust industrial um, market. Um, It's not something that I focus in, but we have historically low vacancies and historically high rents. So owners want to convert, right? There's not enough available land. You have residents who are complaining um, over, you know, pending developments and, and rightfully so in certain areas um but i you know the the whole conversion conversation i think is awesome i'll tell you why because take this market for example about 25 million feet from my point of view we've got about 3 million square feet of space that is just like call it 10% of the market right so if we had 10% vacancy in this market it actually means we have no space because the 10% that's left over is obsolete. It's old. It's really worn. Nobody's really interested in going there anyway. But a lot of those buildings are going to have you know, some tenants here or there. Um, and the best thing is, look, out with the old, in with the new. As long as you treat that tenant fairly on the way out, you give them notice. I mean, look, it's hard to say I'm going to pick you out before your lease expires. Maybe I'm paying for your relocation, anything to make life easy for you and i think it's okay it's precarious it you know nobody wants to be displaced but you know sometimes you don't know how exciting an opportunity can be until you get there oh but we love it here it's great no 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 you think it is because that's all you've known but now let's put you in a building where there's some life where there's an owner who cares about it maintains it god forbid there's an amenity can you imagine like you right your people will be so happy and so um not only do you get rid of bad inventory and bring the overall in the inventory down, the vacancy down, you now take those tenants that existed and you put them in other buildings. And therefore you have more positive absorption in the buildings that are actually being taken care of. So I think it's a holistic approach to taking care of everybody. And I like in in this municipality here, I sit in West Windsor, this part of New Jersey, when you drive around, there is a very cohesive feeling to the office buildings as you drive around. Yeah, you, know, you would not have a Red Lobster next to a Class A office building next to an apartment building. Like you, it just, it works. It feels good. You know, there's not company names atop of every building. Um, it just feels very professional. And so when you take a decrepit old building out of the mix and you put something new and fresh there, multifamily, we need a lot of uh, units right? It's completely underserved nationally. And it is here in New Jersey. So we need more apartments. I think that's a really, um, that's a great conversion. Do we need warehouse? Yeah, but it's kind of overkill. Now I don't really want to see it. But if you have to, you have to. And warehouses are now like really nice looking pieces of real estate. Right? It's not like people used to go, you know, that that warehouse that vacant building that's falling apart. No, these are like really nice warehouse buildings. So I think visually and aesthetically, it adds to the overall appeal to this particular area. So I don't think anything I said there leads to me believing that these conversions are a bad thing. It's just got to be done the right way.
0: Well, I think the biggest thing is, is for tenants to reach out and fully understand uh, how they're protected in their current lease. And then also when they're going and looking at a new building, put those protections in place because there are some notice periods that are borderline criminal I've seen in a couple of leases where the landlord has you know 30 or you know 60 days to kick to kick somebody out and they just get kicked to the curb right and that's bad drafting on a uh, on a lawyers side that's bad work from a tenant rep that came in and so there are some things that I think should be doing to protect themselves. Yeah. But overall, I think you're right. I think that generally uh when I've seen folks get removed from buildings, they end up in a much better stead. Um it just, you know, it was a little bit of a transition in the process. And we had one of those recently where it was an engineering company that got booted out for a conversion. And next thing you know, they're in a class A space where they're paying like twenty five cents more a foot and they're in three times the quality space. Right. right. So I think there's a lot of that going on in a lot of markets. Um, I would just say that a tenant should be very careful and understand where they're sitting, or at least um, not uh, uh, jump in the pool and do a cannonball first without understanding uh, how the lease is structured.
1: Yeah, listen, I, um, I'll i tell you, Gordon, I know my strengths. I think I know my weaknesses, some of my weaknesses. Um I, I tell people I'm not an attorney and okay, I've read through enough leases and I've been doing this long enough. I know enough to be dangerous, but the best advice I can give to my tenant clients is you just hire an attorney, you know, and, and not, and I'm and a good about, attorney, a good <laughs> attorney, not your buddy who does very different, you know, attorney work. Somebody who's looking at commercial leases day in and day out that understands exactly what kind of protection you as a tenant need in that lease because you know, unfortunately, I was telling you a story before about this building that's that's gone dark. They are, they're kicking tenants out, and I think what they're hanging their hat on, excuse me, is, you know, our tenants here aren't big enough to sue us. Like we're just going to kick them out and hope for the best. So maybe that's the case. Why spend the thousands and thousands of dollars in legal bills to fight something that? Like, I might as well just go and find new space. The building is being mismanaged anyway. It's probably better for me to leave. Um, But at the same time, it shouldn't have to be that way. It shouldn't have to be like, we don't have, you know, the funds to do that. You should just have language in the lease that protects you from that, right? Of course. And so before we go, I, I don't want to kick
0: you out, but we definitely eventually have um,
1: my agreement. It says you can't kick me out before 30 minutes. I had a good attorney look at it. <laughs>
0: uh, so before we, before we, uh, we, we leave, uh, I wanted to touch on one last thing. And, and that's because we always love reaching out to other markets and understanding what's going on and new eyes and, and new ears on the real estate problem and the real and finding real estate solutions is what this podcast is all about. So uh, before we go, what's the one thing that we should be talking about on the podcast that we haven't mentioned in this conversation today?
1: You know, I'm, I'm glad you asked that because it was something I was thinking about bringing up, but um, just a really interesting topic is AI. Um, I don't know if oh, you yeah. saw this week, JLL announced that they've launched their own, I mean, I should know the name of it, GBT. I, I saw it, that. It, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, and I was playing around with it, Gordon. And you know, so I've been using Chat GPT for my own use at home. Um, it, it creates really great stories for my kids at night, right? Stories that I can't make up on my own. I say, Hey, tell me a story about X, Y, and Z, and it spits out this really awesome, creative story that my kids really love. But you know, I started off very simple. Oh, um, Give me a list of tenants in Princeton of leases coming up in the next 2 years. Well, it doesn't it doesn't have that information. Okay. Um you know, who are the top employers? Oh, it's got that information. Who's growing? There's some really good basic intel that it can give you. You can also type in language that you have in a lease. Listen, I'm in a pinch here. I don't have an attorney, but I want to have an educated conversation with my client. So let me take the language from the lease. And maybe it can translate it for me in a way that's more digestible for me to understand so I can explain it to the tenant. That I don't think is scratching the surface on what AI and, and and technology like ChatGPT actually do for you, right? I think it's a learning technology. So, you know, I'm just super excited that JLL has come out with their own platform for it because I think it's going to help us get answers to our clients faster than any of our competitors, and it's going to put us in a really interesting position to just win more business. But overall, I think businesses should be looking at this technology very closely to see how it can serve them better at their day to day.
0: Look, uh, that's a phenomenal topic. And I would say uh, check out our last podcast. Uh, We discussed that in depth with uh, a futurist in AI. Um, And uh, uh, before we go, uh, thank you very much, Vinny. It's been great as always. And we have to have you on in the
1: future. Thank you, Gordon. It's always fun. I appreciate it.
0: Thanks again to Vinny for hopping on the podcast. If you'd like to get in contact with Vinny, we put several links below in the video description. If you enjoyed the podcast, please give us a like, a five-star rating, or a review. Your comments, interactions, and subscriptions truly matter and help us continue to provide quality guests. You can follow us on YouTube, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Gordon Lamphere with The Real Finds Podcast. Thank you for listening.